My name is Bryce Michael Wood, and this is part seven of For Your Discomfort. Now, For Your Discomfort is a series of much-needed conversations that you can tune into live on Mondays and Fridays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via Zoom. Now, these conversations are designed to elevate the voices of those that have routinely been unheard and underrepresented. I did not set out to turn this into a podcast, but due to popular demand and our growing audience, and because I got you, I decided to provide the recordings of the audio. For all updates, please follow at For Your Discomfort on Instagram. But in the meantime, white people, step into the room. To have Joe, Miles, and Junior here with me, and um, you know, to continue the conversation. It's ongoing and I'm glad everyone that stepped in the room today stepped into the room and I hope that you continue to do so. Um, For Your Discomfort is a series of much needed conversations from important perspectives and experiences and the goal is to elevate voices of those that are unheard and routinely underrepresented. That said, all of the black people that you see on your screens do not speak for, nor do we represent all black people in America or all black people in the world. You know, we all have unique experiences and perspectives, but what bonds us and, you know, unites us is the color of our skin in a white world. And that's why, you know, these conversations have been incredible from week to week to get, for myself included, to gain perspective and, and knowledge. But it is not our responsibility to educate anyone. We show up and we choose to, to speak and be vulnerable and transparent in a safe space. This is education through observation of conversation. One more time for the people in the back. This is education through observation of conversation. You see how I went high all the way low? That, that, that was fun for me. Um, I'm still going to figure out how to add preservation and make a reservation to that like thing, but it might be too many isations, but we'll figure it out from there. Uh, but welcome for people that are still popping up. Um, happy that you're here. And let's go ahead and get some of these these intros popping. Um, Joe, who are you? Hey. Hi. Um, my name is Joe. I am originally from Pasadena, California, and that is where I have been quarantined for the past 14 weeks. Um, but I teach in New York City and Long Island, um, so you would recognize me uh, in a Soul Cycle studio there. Beautiful. Miles, hey. Hey. Hey, white people. <laughs> white it's people. Just, it's not just white people on here. I'm just kidding. Um, I am Miles Johnson. I know this crew because I used to work at SoulCycle. I haven't been there for almost a year. Uh, I am now uh, consulting in uh, communications and company culture. And I have a, with a focus in diversity and inclusion education, and particularly um, looking at white ally education. Beautiful, and Junior. Hey guys, Junior Kennedy here, New York City SoulCycle instructor. You could find me in Park Slope, Brooklyn Heights, um, where Joe and I met. <laughs> um, or on the Upper East Side, uh, pretty much just a chill dude, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was a solid intro. Um, you know, I'm happy to have Junior back and I'm happy to have Miles back in a bigger capacity and just welcome Joe. Thank you for providing your voice, your time and your much needed perspective. Like we were we were speaking earlier last or middle of last week and I had literally never met you before. Didn't know that you taught in New York and was like excited to find out that you did, but like also confused as to why I had never seen you or met you. But that's a bigger conversation, which actually can be started off with Miles in this idea of optics and um, being seen. Yeah, for sure. So as, as has, has, excuse me, has mm -hmm. been said a lot and has been coming up a lot now is representation matters. And so when people don't see themselves reflected in a group or a product, they don't frequent it. And so I, I have been speaking a lot about representation. And if you think about it, like think about, I've talked about this before, Barack Obama, when he was um, elected as president, the feeling that happened was that people of color now saw a leader at the top. That changed, that shifted the, the human consciousness and the energy to show 
that this can be done. It's never been done before and now it can be done. And I would say one of the positive things coming out of this movement right now, if you notice all over the news, people are taking down statues. And like, I just read about um, the New York Library in New York, um, well, obviously the New York Library in New York, the <laughs> Museum of Natural History is taking down the Theodore Roosevelt statue that's, that's been standing outside since it opened because it depicts him on a horse above people of color who are walking alongside of him. And so, these are the kinds of things and the optics that people and organizations and leadership teams and companies need to start taking into account. Particularly when I speak about businesses, I'm speaking about what does your marketing look like? What is the pictures of the people who you are, who you are putting as your face? What do they look like? Are they women? Are they men? Are they LGBTQ? Are they of color? Like you can't just keep showing the same faces and pictures or else you're not gonna build your business. And even if you feel uncomfortable doing that, think about it in a business terms. Like people with people of color and of difference and whatever their difference may be, that's money. So if you don't wanna yeah. do it because it feels weird or uncomfortable, think about money. These are things that I, I talk a lot to leadership teams and I have a, a lot of friends that are on leadership teams. And that's the first thing I say is like, you gotta put your money where your mouth is and show everybody your receipts. You know who's collecting yeah. receipts right now? Ben and Jerry's <laughs> is fucking shit up. They are. <laughs> I haven't had Ben and Jerry's for years because I was like, I'm always on a diet. But like, guess who? Guess who gets Ben and Jerry's? <laughs> I, I went right to that freezer the other day and got myself some um, Cherry Garcia, which I haven't had in years. But because <laughs> seriously, but because Ben and Jerry's is now speaking out and they are showing their receipts by by not just putting out a letter, but they're they're coming for people. And no, like, yeah, yeah. Something, something, something that I want to parse out before we move past it is the idea of representation in your marketing, regardless of the company you are. But then something you started to talk about that I want to like kind of expand is once you do sort of pick your uh, people of color or your people that represent the LGBT community to, to expand that idea as well. Something we've been talking about throughout these conversations is this idea of tokenism and this idea of checking off a box or fulfilling a quota and the reason that i didn't know joe existed for myself is because i've while i'm happy to see the black faces that i have seen representing the brand it's been the same black faces <laughs> representing the brand and i think you can say that across a lot of brands that once they kind of find there are two or three people that represent each box they kind of stick with it because they found success but I think that speaks to optics as well of like, just because you have your two or three does not mean we should kind of stop there and be like, cool, check that box. They're successful. Let's keep that going. Like I should have known who Joe is. I should have and known. I should have cycle for seven years. So that's like really bad. That right. Like I, seven years. <laughs> and to add to that, it's like a lot of times companies will use um, models. And if you're a community-based organization, any community-based organization, use your community and use all of them. Because one of the things that I did when I was at SoulCycle is I created and I ran Soul Unclipped, which I don't know what's going on with that now because I'm not there. But it was my focus and goal when I was there to show the different faces from around the entire organization because I also traveled with the new studio openings team. So I got to meet and hear the stories of all the humans. And when I pitched the idea of starting Soul Unclipped, the whole idea was to show each other who we all are and celebrate each other for like anniversaries, birthdays, what studio you worked at, what parts of the country. Because when you're an organization that's very large, it's not about just like saying who you are and what you represent. It's about showing who you are and who you're representing. And if you're global, then you gotta show from the tippy top over here down to the tippy top bottom over here and like encompass inclusion of everyone who's involved in the stories and tell their stories and share their stories. So optics I think it's really important. Yeah, and I think, you know, there there's a huge there's there's a big premium on optics as far as how that as far as a company or brand's influences like society. As far as like if you have a big reach or or a large influence, what you're putting out there matters. Who who you're showing that represents your company and the culture at your company matters because it, it is a definition of the community and it is also showing like 
people that aren't a part of that community, what they may or may not need to do to get into that community and be included in that community. And I, I kind of want to use that as a transition to talk about Joe and your high school experience and I guess like other companies or other brands, how those optics played a role in how you grew up. Can I, I just want to add one quick thing before that, just because I don't want to leave that topic of optics real quick. Sure. In terms of social media, a lot of people are asking like, well, what do I put on there and who, who, who am I to do that? And I actually, I actually had this conversation with my brother the other day and we came to the conclusion, like if you're getting paid through social media and you're making money off of it, then you have a social responsibility to use your voice. And that is kind of like the, the story around a lot of people like, I don't know how to use it. If you're, if you're making money off of social media, then you do, I believe, have a social responsibility to use your voice there. There, I just wanted to add that in. Thank you, Miles. Uh, Joe? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, as I mentioned before, I grew up in Pasadena, but my mom uh, taught in this district called Alhambra, which is like, what we say is like 20 minutes down the hill. So the majority of my entire upbringing from the time I was like in preschool up until the day I graduated was in the Alhambra School District, amazing school district. Um, but I didn't actually spend a lot of times with, with black or um, white people. It was mostly Hispanic and uh, East Asian. So my high school was 50% East Asian, 40% Latinx, and then 10% other. And what was so interesting looking at it now is that although there are really no white people at my school, no really black people, we were very influenced by what we saw. So it was really cool to wear Abercrombie Fitch and Hollister and things like that. Yet in the early 2000s, when I went to high school, they weren't advertising for us. The clothes weren't meant for us. Um, you could see that with the ads that they chose. You could see it with the sizes that they chose. Um, I was like way curvier in high school and I could barely fit into those clothes but I wanted to fit in. So it was, it was really interesting being in a neighborhood that like in Alhambra, a lot of the signs are in Chinese. Like there's signs that are not in English, yet it really influenced us what we saw of like wanting to fit in and wearing certain clothes. And I even, after I went to high school, I went to a predominantly white college, but during the summer times, I like applied to work at Abercrombie and I didn't even like, I feel like when I went to apply, they like force fed me into what they thought I should do. And I didn't think that I was like worthy enough of like working in the front. So I applied to work in the back. And so I spent my Christmas and summertime like working in the back with other people. And it's interesting because I told you the neighborhood where this, where I went to school was predominantly Asian and Latinx. And even where this Abercrombie was, was Arcadia, which is even more East Asian. It was like they found every white person to put in the front of the store. So I spent my college career working at Abercrombie, just happy to work there, but like working in the back, like folding clothes, blah, blah, blah. I would never like even think about working in the front because I didn't, I didn't think I, I did not fit that mold, you know? Um, and it's like interesting to even think like that I wanted to be a part of something like that, but you want to fit in. Right. I think what's, what's huge here in the connection between Miles speaking on optics and then kind of the direct reflection of how that made you feel about yourself and you know your value as it were to not be to not think that you were worthy of even working in the front and to also be force-fed this idea that like you'll best you'll better serve us back here folding clothes because the mold out there is I mean for lack of a better term like white even though you didn't really grow up in a predominantly white place the brand itself continued to perpetuate this is what popularity looks like this is who you want to be this is what success looks like and these are the pictures and these are the images and these this is the sizing that lends itself to fitting in or lends itself to being a part of what is happening in society and i think optics plays a a large 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 role in that and how you know we we're socialized i think i had the i had a similar experience growing up as far as like what I thought was cool wasn't cool going to a predominantly white you know school to be educated but then coming back to my neighborhood which was predominantly black and Latinx and then being like schooled or told like no none of that is cool like this is cool and trying to figure out like okay how do I put all of this together and sort of like figure out who I am but we'll get we'll get into identity like way later later but this all all of this plays a role in that and um I think as you know, people are listening, white people, as you listen to this, I know it's hard 
to be like, wow, you know, I didn't know that this was happening. You know, I just thought this was normal. I just thought this was life. I didn't realize that a lot of the marketing was geared towards white being successful or, or traditional, like, or just white faces being the face of most products and most brands. And I know it's like, maybe a shock, like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. I didn't realize that you didn't feel represented or you didn't feel valued. And while I appreciate the, the the sympathy that has been happening and has continued to happen throughout this season. Something that I don't want to happen is that you get stuck in sympathy, that you kind of just stay there um, and, and like no real action is, is taken forward from that sympathy. And so Junior, please come to the stage, unmute yourself and let on the stage. I end up on the stage. <laughs> um, it, just um, piggybacking off what Joe was saying, it's so ironic to understand how pervasive white supremacy is in that it doesn't need the presence of white people for it to be available or fully present. Um, <clears throat> and that's what everyone goes through every day, whether you're on the white side or the black side. The, the truth is that's how pervasive the system has made white supremacy to be because like, Joe went to a predominantly Asian and Hispanic school, yet the promotion of white idea was the biggest thing rather than identifying the racial groups that were there and promoting them in, in itself. So I just wanted to point out um, how clear um, and how pervasive white supremacy is. But on the topic of emotions, I, I think a lot of us are now in a position where it's unproductive emotions. Um, that, that in itself is like, let me use the analogy, whereas a lot of us in high school kind of don't know where we want to go, right? In most cases, we try to figure out our life. Do we want to go to college? Do we want to do sports? Do, like, what do we want to do? Then there comes the influence of your parents. And parents oftentimes use emotion to drive fear into you, like, oh, maybe um, this is what you need to do. And because you love your parents so much, you're, you're super influenced by their perception and idea of how they see your life. Therefore, you would probably then go to college because that's the emotional, that's the emotional right thing to do because you don't want to disappoint your parents, right? Um, but at the end of the day, when you finish four years, now what? Now you're in a position where you're like, oh, um, I'm... I have four years of degree and I don't know what to do with it. I have no interest in it. Maybe I just did it to do it for my parents sake. And then that becomes a situation where it's not, it wasn't a necessary action. It was an emotional action. So then you start to neglect the reality of going through that phase. So I feel like now the movement is in a place where it's so unproductively unproductive emotionally because people are now just motivated by the trauma that we go through as black and brown people when it should be a conversation of this should be necessary not emotionally influenced because if you're emotionally um, influenced then you're going to find yourself in a position as a white person to start to speak up for black people no one asks you to speak up for us we ask you to stand and walk and move with us and maybe use your voice to say X, Y, Z, but don't come to the forefront and speak up on our behalf because that's not the, the job we gave you. So take away the emotions and understand how necessary the actions are and then move from that place because at the end of your learning, you're gonna come to a place where you're like, holy shit, this means something to me more than just emotion. This means something from a necessary standpoint. Right, and that's like, I mean, we literally on Friday, we spoke on that, you know, when, when Mike asked, people the question of like now that you've been educated now that you've done your research now that you've posted your post and had your conversations and we'll continue because they're necessary like what is the next logical step and honestly even in what you're saying the next logical step is to identify why this is necessary right like to to actually start to build to to tear down the old foundation and rebuild on foundation that is informed by the education that is informed by the emotional your your initial emotional response which is one out of like caring for human beings and valuing human life but now that 
that has taken place and hopefully you know it's cemented as like cool this isn't a political thing this is a people thing this is a person thing this is a human thing now we start to move away from just like the knee-jerk emotional response of being a part of a movement and actually figure out figuring out why this is necessary why this is important to me and why this is much bigger than a moment in history and that it's not just about being on the right side of history right it's actually about incremental change that we want to see that we've been seeing like I don't want to discount the changes that have been happening even in the past three weeks but they've been on such a micro scale right and you know at the end of the day we want that macro 100% change and but we know that it's going to take some time but thank you Junior for speaking on this idea of unproductive emotion because we can kind of just sit with it and not really go anywhere like we can just continue to to go in a circle of like this is really sad. Really, this happens to black people. Oh my gosh, your experience. Oh my gosh, this is incredible perspective. Oh my, but like, it's just gonna be, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And we gotta get you like outside. Like we gotta get you like taking action. And just to clarify, before we move forward with Miles speaking on education in a, in a macro sense, I, I wanna clarify like, when I initially was like, white people, like where you at? That was about just simply being silent, right? That was about falling back in a moment where all voices needed to be heard because black people have been screaming for hundreds of years and had been, right? But to, to Junior's point, that doesn't now mean speak on behalf of, right? It means speak in support of, but that, yeah. So I, I just wanna make that distinction as, as, as I just wanna clarify like, that does not mean now that I understand in these three weeks of this movement, like which isn't a thing, but now that I get it, now that I totally understand the plight of black people, I will now take up a mantle and now I speak on behalf of black people. That's not, you know, no, don't do that. Um, instead, you know, speak in support of, continue to learn, continue to listen, continue to understand. And then when given an opportunity to speak, speak on what you know. Speak from exactly where you are, but don't try to like do a whole <laughs> transformation in three weeks and now understand everything. And now I speak for Bryce. I speak for Junior. I speak for Miles. I speak for Joe. Mm -mm. Speak in support of, continue to, to support us and lift us up as we're speaking and being heard. But I just want to make that distinction so that people aren't like, so don't speak. Like, no, that's not what's happening not don't speak, please don't go silent again. <laughs> we don't need that. But it, what it means is, for lack of a better term, stay in your lane, right? Like we've been surviving for all of our lives. We've been experiencing for all of our lives. So the perspective and our understanding of this is just a bit more cultured and just a bit more fully formed. So that's okay. But that doesn't mean false silence. That means speak in support of, stand with. And you've heard that in other conversations. Um, Miles, please come back in the conversation and speak on a bit of what you've been doing uh, to further this conversation. Yeah, for sure. First of all, you're crushing these transitions, really, really getting it. <laughs> um, I, wanted to add, I wanted to add on to what you just said and what Junior just said in terms of not speaking for people of color. Um, here's a takeaway. I'm all about takeaways because people are like, what can I do? What can I do? What you can do is elevate the voices of black and brown people and people of color. If you, especially if you're a leader or you're on an HR team and you hire people, you need to bring in diverse mindsets. And yes, yeah, same. Someone said, I love it. Love a segue. Same. I live for a segue. <laughs> like elevate. You don't have to speak for other people. If you use your power to take those people and then put them in the forefront, that is what's going to fix things. And then you show your support by doing that. So that ties into what I am really passionate about right now, which is education and specifically education of white allies. So a little background on me, because I don't think I ever gave it in the first talk is <clears throat> I'm biracial. My mother is a white woman from Romania who's Jewish and her parents were in the Holocaust. She moved to America when she was nine. And my father is a black man who grew up in the South Bronx in the 60s and 70s. And my parents met at music and art high school in New York City, LaGuardia Performing School of Arts. So they're both artists. <clears throat> and I am also gay. So I'm like, I'm on this planet for equality. Like I am, my DNA is made up of survivors. 
Holocaust, black people, gays, and LGBTQ plus community. So it's just like, that's my background. And because my parents are artists, I also, I became an artist and I went into that career of art. And I've always been, I was a performer, a professional performer until my early thirties. And education to me is like performing. I'm all about storytelling and supporting storytelling, which is what performing and artistry is. And so I've taken that idea and turned it into education. I'm a person that believes there are different ways to protest as we all believe. And some people are Malcolms and some people are Martins and some people are in the middle. And I lean, I actually talk about this with Tramel all the time. Like I lean more towards the Martin, the passive educational side. And some people lean towards the fight side, like actually need to get out and fight. And I, I respect both sides. So in terms of that, I have focused my life on education, no matter what I'm doing in my job, but now specifically education of white allies, because one of the things that comes up a lot with white allies, because I've had a couple of, of educational forums, is that people are scared to make mistakes. They're scared to ask questions because they don't want to offend or come off as racist. But we have to get to a place where we're not afraid to make mistakes and not afraid to work through our mistakes um, and, and own our mistakes and speak on them and then go from there. As the great Amy Peck, of the, of the olden days of Soul Cycle used to say when she used to teach training is you have to um, apologize, acknowledge, and act. Those the three A's. And that is not just a business term, that's a life term. I've taken that into my life. It, it works for everything. And you have to know your why, why you're doing things and what your intentions are. Um, so that's how I focus on education in, in, in my journey. Yeah. What's what's solid there is, you know, it's right in line with what I've been saying from day one, uh, as far as like, you don't have to be perfect in this, right? It's, it's not about showing up with all the answers. It's not about being all the way perfect and, and making no missteps. Like, that's not how we grow. That's not how we learn. But the best way to learn is being present, like right where you are, being able to acknowledge and then act after acknowledging. Like, those are, that's how we learn. That's, it's, the age-old metaphor I've been using, stove is hot, you touch the hot stove, you're like, wow, that was hot, not going to do that again. And but but then you're maybe- get, You're going to get right. burned, and you might have you're a You're going to get burned. And maybe you're going to have to like figure out, like, well, maybe if the stove is on this setting, maybe I could touch it, and it won't be as hot. Like, maybe I can get in on this level and have the conversation here, because that's more, like, more comfortable for me. Ooh, okay, that was hot again. Got you. Okay, let me continue to learn and figure out like the hot points like how will it not burn as much but knowing that burning is a part of the learning right like you have to feel that thing and bump up against that uncomfortable truth in order to have true clarity especially in conversations like this and to that end being owning up to mistakes or to that end of not being all the way perfect and truly being present miles you shared with us like right before this call something that um you know, you wanted to be transparent about and something that you, you wanted to own up to. And so I just want to give you the, the space and the floor, knowing that this is judgment free and knowing that I already know that you're growing from this as we speak. For sure. And to add to the burn, sometimes you'll burn yourself and you'll get scars, right? But when you have a scar and you look at it, you remember what got you that scar, right? And you learn that lesson and you're not going to get that scar again. So exactly. uh, scars are there to remind us what we learned and not to go back there unless we want another scar. Um, and so, yeah, there's a story that I've been like really struggling to tell. And I brought it up with this group before this. And I was like, I'm going to share it because it's, it's about, it's, it's, in, it's in solidarity with people who are scared to make mistakes because we all make mistakes. As Bryce said earlier, we don't all speak for all people of color. And one of the mistakes that I made is in my early career as an actor, um, I toured with Miss Saigon and the idea of cultural inappropriation I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the midst of recording um, for this theater company that wants to use my story to educate people on the social justice movement that's going on as a former actor and performer who left that business. <clears throat> and to be transparent, one, one, uh, when I was on that tour, one um, Halloween, my friends and I decided that we wanted to dress up like the Jamaican bobsled team from Cool Runnings. And because I'm black or half black, I was like, this is a positive thing. This is not, we're not dressing up like slaves we're not doing anything negative to the black culture so it's okay but i was 23 years old and i didn't really understand that it's not okay to do that and these other friends of mine were three white guys and so we dressed up we put on wigs and we wore darker makeup which is modern day blackface and i struggle with this um because i fight against that 
And I, but I, but I realized I need to tell this story so people know that like everyone makes mistakes and look at me now, tw almost 20 years later. Yes, almost 20 because I am 40 years old. We are, I'm fighting on the other side of it. So it's like, I did it in an innocent way. And as an actor or performer, we dress up, we play roles all the time and we don't think about cultural misappropriation because you'll play, I played an Asian in that show for three months. Like I'm not Asian. So like these stories are starting to come up now and I'm like, I may run for office one day, cause I might. And I'm not trying to have people come for me with receipts and be like, Miles Johnson, dude, blackface. And it's like, yes, I did. And I didn't know it was wrong at the time. So let me explain to you my intentions behind that. And let me explain to you how I corrected that. And I totally forgot about it until someone tagged me in this post a couple months ago. And I was like, oh no, I forgot about that. So I reached out to her and I was like, hey, first of all, we need to take that picture down. Um, and I explained why. And she's like, oh my God, you're totally right. I didn't even think about that. Because there were black people in my cast as well who laughed at it and they were like, oh my God, that's amazing. Because as I said, the intention was not to cause malice. It was, we were dressing up to celebrate like the Jamaican bobsled team. And it was a fun, we looked at it as fun. I you know that. Junior's face. Trying to come from my culture. I wasn't <laughs> I was celebrating it. And, and that's the thing is like these, my white friends, they were like, are you sure? And I was like, I am sure we are good. And we, were, and we were good at the time, but I grew up in the 80s and 90s where cultural misappropriation was not a focus. So this was like 2003. It wasn't a conversation back then, but it's a conversation now. Yo, and now that's... I can go back and be like, y'all, we did that because we didn't know. But when you know, you know, and you need to go back, you need to own it, you need to apologize, you need to acknowledge and you need to act and so now i'm acting i'm educating people and i'm sharing my story because in sharing this story it shows that like we all make mistakes and we can all fix them i think one didn't know you were like you look incredible you were like and 20 years later 40 i was like hold on that mask is very specific miles looks great <laughs> um it never cracks and it, it never will um i appreciate you being you know open and vulnerable about that in this time and understanding the importance of that example and understanding that we all make mistakes point blank period like this isn't like the the idea of a mistake is not attached to it, the color of anyone's skin okay like making a mistake is a part of being human that is human, that is human experience that's what They're happens when you're human. born and you make choices Cho these choices are bound to lead to a mistake or two along the way but something that was very very apparent in that was this idea of intentionality and misinformation uh you know kind of fueling that intentionality like not having all the answers not having all of the information that you know fueled your intention you're like we're just it's fine you know and like making the excuses along the way to justify the the, the means um and and i kind of want to use that to transition into junior bringing up three types of racists. And I'm just gonna leave it at that because I just want you to go. Let's go. <laughs> um, but before I even go there, I just wanted to identify on the matter of unproductive emotion. It's also unproductive, well not unproductive, but tiring emotion on our part when we're consistently asked to tell our stories, to re-educate, to re-educate, to consistently educate um, white allies and and or people who just want to learn about our stories, it's also tiring emotion for us to keep speaking about these situations. So when we talk about elevating voices, it doesn't mean that you want to put Black people in the forefront to continue to reiterate their stories. That's also unproductive emotions because we've all seen what's happening. We've all seen the eight minutes or the nine minutes of that knee on the neck. We've all seen all the trauma where Black people are concerned. But I, I think a point of elevating voices is putting black people on the executive seats is allowing them to have a say in how the company is run in how the policies are created that affects us and or segregates us from the idea of us growing or moving forward in a company i just wanted to address that really quickly because when we say voices some people are oftentimes thinking it's just a vocality of voice but it's also the usage because i'm always behind the idea that power is not just what you have because we all have a voice 
power is in the intention in which you use um, what you have. So if you have a bigger voice than someone else, allow them to come in in making sure that they have a say and a part in how you mobilize as a company, as an organization, or as people. That just wanted to clarify that. Now, on the matter of different points of races. So when slavery was abolished, um, I, uh, in doing my own research, I, I feel like there are three type of races that came about, yeah? One, first, active racism, which a lot of us know. The system is also an active form of racism, um, and which they use a policing to, to navigate that, that action, right? So active racism are those who consistently seek out Black people and or minorities, call them names, spit on them, lynching, beating, brutality, all that. Those are active racism, and that doesn't need much explanation because we know what the word active and racism mean. Then there are the inactive races. The, the inactive races, let me just take you back to um, when slavery was abolished. Those are the people who still somewhat kept Black people as slave, but also started to give them a stipend at a low budget to make them feel as if, oh, I'm supporting you, I'm not against you. So they gave them these little jobs to make it seem as if they're supporting black people rather than racially being against them when the truth is that's just an act of racism. When you look at certain corporations and companies, most custodians, most um, babysitters, most um, any little small jobs that you want in your household are oftentimes done by black and brown people. The reality is that's an act of racism because you have penetrated a certain group and you said, this is the group that will do the job that I want, right? Um, and a lot of people are doing that today. Whether you feel like, oh, I just feel like Black people will take care of my daughter a lot better, or um, they probably will mow the lawn a lot better, or they're a better dishwasher. The reality is, how did you come to that conclusion? Racial profiling, racism. So you're an inactive racist. Then there's a sleeping racist. Oh, Lord. Here it goes. So the sleeping racists are those who have black friends, who've attached themselves to black communities, who have black instructors, who have, hey, you're my black best friend. Those are the ones who allow the world to be asleep to their racial profiling. But if they're put in a particular position where they feel endangered, they will use their privilege and their racial standards to ensure that they apply that to let you know that they are dominant, AKA the Amy who? Cooper. Talk about it, Amy Cooper. Her life is shown that she is a, a normal person who supports and is never against anything that is racial but then when she felt like her life was in danger what did she say she expressed exactly how she felt aka just in case that does not relate to you so cycle we talked about this about two weeks ago on part four i think i was on when we were saying that there are some people in the room who are so in support of you and they like you and they're like oh my god you're great as an instructor and then once you step out into the world they're like hey do me a favor, what you're not gonna do is step to me because I'm gonna let you know you're black. What you're not gonna do is have a conversation with me in a certain way because you are not my equal. So there are, those are the sleeping races and a, a lot of people could fall into that category. And I'm not saying it's, it's something that, yes, it's something that you should be ashamed of, um, but it's also something that you need to identify need to, in order to work on it because those are the things that are emotionally driven. You are sleeping racist, so you're going, to emotion, you're going to be emotionally driven by the idea that, okay, Black people have been going through so much, and I have a Black friend, so I'm going to be motivated by it on an emotional standpoint, but do you actually feel like it's necessary? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that was the crux of the, towards the end of last, you know, conversation uh, this past, uh, what was it, Friday? As far as just, like, what's your actual motivation after you know after this season after you know hope you know prayerfully the momentum isn't lost but you know history has shown us that that it can happen even if it's like even if this is like a six month stint like we what's what's necessary is actual an actual internal shift and an actual change of, of how how you think an actual transformation of your thought process and something something um that kind of links all of these ideas together from optics 
to education to the three types of races is perception and how black people are perceived. You know, that's, that's, I mean, that's the leading reason for all of these, for everything, like implicit bias and the list goes on and on. Like perception is power. And I want to, to ask Joe to speak on some of the, the pressures to fulfill a certain perception. Um, personally, that was a lot of peas and I didn't do that on purpose, but here we go anyway. Joe, cause I don't even want to, I don't even want to say any of it. I just want you to like go. <laughs> well, um, when it comes to, I think I'm fortunate enough that at least in my job, it's okay to, um, because you know, like I sweat all the time, there really hasn't been any pressure for me to wear my hair a certain type of way, but I cannot say that that's been for everybody. I know that like in corporate America, there have been times where we're not allowed to wear our hair in a natural state, or um, I don't know, like when that video was swarming around with that wrestler who they may cut his, his locks, like those are things that are happening in this country and from the time that I remember when I was like I think I was like eight or nine and I wanted to get my hair straight because I used to wear my hair you know like in little little like ponytails like braided down with beads and all that other type of stuff and like all the time but I remember wanting to have that opportunity to get my hair straight and I don't even remember how old I was when I started getting my hair straight but I knew from being in the spaces that were not with other black people that if you, if you don't know this, like back in the day, you used to get your hair like pressed every other week. So every other week I would go to the salon, I would get my hair pressed. I remember even like little things would make me feel super self-conscious about like, I didn't take showers like my friends. I would take baths because if you took a shower, you'd mess up your hair, right? So taking a bath was something that I would do, but I didn't want to talk about. I remember, I don't even know why we would talk about this type of stuff, but like, how often do you wash your hair? Well, I was only washing my hair every other week. Those type of things, would make me feel so insecure because I wasn't like my friends who were going to school. So I wore my hair straight up until high school. And then when I went to college, you know, I was away, I wasn't at home anymore. So I wasn't going to go to some salon and get my hair straightened. So for my entire college career, I would just wear my hair in braids all the time in braids. I never knew really what my natural hair looked like because I didn't wear my hair natural from the time I was like seven up until working at SoulCycle. I would literally spend all day taking out my braids, like eight hours. And then the next morning I would be up in Harlem getting my braids back in. No one was allowed to see my hair natural. Like, no, 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 no. You know, like, because we are taught, like, I don't, like, this is now a movement now where, where you see natural hair. But if you think about early 2000s, back, like every, every black girl was getting their hair pressed. You know what I mean? So finally, my hair was breaking off so badly because when I was trying to wear my hair straight, I was getting like perms and keratins and my hair was just ripping, falling out because of all the sweat that I was doing at SoulCycle or, or just, I just was very into fitness in college and like graduate school. My hair was just falling out because of the chemicals of the sweat. So I was like, let me just put my hair in braids again for a really long time. I didn't, I let all of the perm come on out. And I went to a natural hairstylist. I like researched everywhere in New York City. Like, where can I find a natural hairstylist? And I remember being like, so uncomfortable of the idea of thinking of wearing my hair natural. So I went to this natural hairstylist and I was like under the sink and she was like, your hair is so beautiful. And I swear, I was like, I said, are you talking to me? And she said, yes, I'm talking to you. I was like, she's like, your hair, your curls are stunning. I'm like, I was so confused because no one had talked to me about my hair and I was 25. No, maybe even like 26 when I started wearing my hair natural and they literally had to sit me down at 26 and be like this is like a curl pattern which they used to help you figure it out some people abide by it but like our hair is different all over the place you know it can be all different types of curl patterns and yeah. um she like it took me like a year and a half to like just understand how to treat my hair and like we've been told like oh black people can't get their hair wet no our hair loves water it like lives off of water it wants to be freaking wet it loves it but i'm thinking like is anyone even going to think that i'm pretty now because i don't have like long flowing braids or i'm not wearing my hair straight like and just having to be very comfortable with my natural hair and like learning how to take care of it and it, it's just it's so much more happy now but I had to get like past like this idea of what beauty looks like and what my hair should or should not be doing. What, um, if you don't mind me asking, what was 
your your feeling or what was like the immediate response when you showed up back to the studio natural after not having been natural for like the, you know in the beginning everyone was super perceptive but it's also you have to like is it i'm like in my head at that time I was like are they are these people just being nice do you know what i mean yeah. like just being nice because this is what it is like my hair was like from down to here to like like so short because it's so curly you know what i mean like but my friends were extremely supportive and stuff like that but i still felt like as a woman i was like my hair is now short it's curly it's very different um am i gonna still be considered beautiful because my hair is not long do you know because that's another thing like long hair represents beauty uh i that i mean we could i mean i i grew up in a house full of um black women once like a, at a from a young age and like i remember for lack of a better phrase, like the smell of hot hair. Yeah, I remember it, it, like that smell. Like that <laughs> hot comb on your scalp, I would like, my scalp would be burned. Like, thank and, God for that hot comb. Like it shouldn't, it, it's ridiculous, it hurts. And like the whole idea behind it, you know, traces all the way back to like during slavery. You know what I mean? If someone's curl pattern was loose, or, or a bit more relaxed than they were, you know, at a different tier in life than you as a black person in the eyes of white society. And like you're, for whatever reason, like hair and this idea of beauty is so on a white scale, like in America and the world, like just the European idea of like long flowing hair that moves has like created this standard that is unfair and is like not even, founded on anything it's not it's not based on any like I don't understand it but I also remember being a part of it you know what I mean I also remember my perceptions of someone that had braids or long hair versus like rocking their hair natural and like how my response was and me being a part of like the problem you know what I mean and not and not speaking up and not embracing you know what is natural and like being in full support of like my cousins in the kitchen you know with the hot comb screaming because they needed to be beautiful and this was the only way it was going to happen was to straighten their hair and then not get it wet and then have to dodge all of those comments being like it's because you can't swim and it's like no like no i can swim it has not first off that's racist like you don't wanted, say that you wanted to say no bitch you can say no bitch. <laughs> he was like, about no. to say that you heard it <laughs> i heard it i can swim it's just that like in order to keep my hair like this i need to not get it wet also i need to not get any chlorine in it because then we're gonna have to wash the whole scalp like it's a whole yeah like thing. It, it it like takes away you being a kid like all these type of things that you have to think about i remember one time a girl like splashed water on me in middle school and like wet my part of my hair and i was like I, I don't, and then you don't, then you can't even fix it yourself. Do you know what I mean? Because you yeah. have to go somewhere to fix it. It's a, it's an issue. And uh, you know, all of this, you know, your journey to becoming natural. And I know that now like it's the life and you look incredible and you are beautiful and like never let anybody tell you different, you know, and your hair is gorgeous. Like I think in a way, I think from, from then to now you were able to sort of find you and in a very real version of you and and your identity um through not just through your hair but i think that was definitely like a gateway and a version to get there and i i wanted to you know segue to miles's experience being biracial here because we talked about this idea of good hair and i just wanted him to expand because i don't think everybody knows even what that concept is yeah for sure and this this conversation is like reminding me of the india Irie song like i am not my hair yeah, which I, if you don't know that song, go listen to it because she breaks it down. I am not my All hair, of it. and how hair is considered like a, the. You should ch also check out the documentary "Good Hair" by Chris Rock. Yeah, there's a whole history behind hair, especially with Black women. It's your crown. It's your like crown of glory. And I am mixed race, so I grew up with a lot of cousins sitting in that chair, getting their hair hot combed or getting it um, relaxed, and had to put that that stuff that's lie in it that like burns your scalp and I have curly naturally curly hair well I ain't got it no more but I used to have the most beautiful curls and I killed them because even me when I had curls I was like I want to straighten my hair so I would relax my hair and my hair wasn't like at that it, I mean I don't know if the word is still used but kinky like I, I have two brothers that I know that's usually that used to be the term for black hair 
Um, is that still the term? Do we still use that? Y'all can. Uh, yeah. Kinky, so I, think, that, I mean, not really, but. Yeah. We, nappy is not a good word. I would not use that. But kinky hair is what used to be used. And um, I, have, I think they say coily. Coily. Sure. Let's go coily. Education. Um, I have two <laughs> brothers and I'm the middle brother. And both of my brothers have coily hair. And I have like curly, big, curly, straightish hair. And I would always get the comment from people of color. be Like, oh, you must be halfsies because you got good hair. And it's just like, what does it even mean? And I didn't really grow up thinking about it. And I remember being in junior high school and I was in this program and my, I grew up in the suburbs of Newburgh, New York, which is about an hour and a half north of New York City. Um, and I went to mostly white schools and there was a program when I was going into middle school that was instead of shipping the urban kids out to suburban schools, they were like, let's ship suburban kids into urban schools. And my family was like, oh, let's do that. That's gonna be great for your education. And I was like, this little 10 year old gay kid just like, what? I got sent to the school in like the heart of like urban um, Newburgh, which was terrifying for me, but it taught me a lot about seeing other social levels. Um, and, and it was terrifying, but it was a lesson in learning. Like I remember the first time I learned about weave, I had no idea what weave was. This black girl came to school, left school on Friday with like this much hair. And she came in on Monday with this like long flowing moment. And I, in my ignorance of a, 11 year old was just like, oh my God, your hair looks amazing. How did you grow that over the weekend? Why don't you, why don't you always have your hair like that? It's so much prettier. And I didn't, like, I remember her face now that I'm older and I understand those, like, those concepts and those stories. And it's like, we need to teach our children all of these things and help them understand that like, this goes deeper than just hair. It goes so much deeper as Joe, as Joe just explained. And growing up biracial, even I didn't have all the facts because nobody really explained it to me because they just assumed I knew. So a lot, of, a lot of black men, they grew up not really understanding it. It's black women who really have to deal with this because black men don't usually grow their hair out unless they're heading into like the locks phase and all, and the stigma around like, you can't, all right, there you go. And the braids, the cornrows. But like, you can't really, you can't quote unquote, walk around with that hair without being stigmatized, especially in the business world. So we really, yeah. we really need to educate on um on 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 uh, on education around hair and someone said something about the doc was full of massage noir great then maybe don't use that one if you have another another example of a better documentary that's one that i watched that kind of made me be like oh wow this story needs to be talked about right. um right. so yeah if you have a if you have another documentary that explains it better feel free to share that with the group wait as I far think... as i can remember growing up culturally yeah um my parents did perm women here and they did weave and all that in Jamaica, but it was never made to be understood that one was better than the other. Um, it was just here differences. Um, Cause I've, I, I can't remember a moment in which anyone had a conversations in and around like, oh my God, that looks better than that. Or it, it was more so, I just want a different look or I just want to do this, I just want to do that. Because like for me, even with girlfriends that I've had, I've always had the conversation with, why don't you wear your hair natural? I would much prefer your natural hair. I think like that natural beauty looks better. And I've had backlash like, oh, why are you telling me to wear my hair natural? Da, 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 da. But like, I just never understood it. But even that in itself is like not okay to say because like, right. why are you telling someone to wear their hair natural? Yes, you might right. like it better, but like it is completely up to them I in think, how yeah. they want to do things. I think we're so, I mean, and this is a whole different thing, which I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I think there is an, an ignorance as far, on a man's part uh, with what, like man, woman, not black, white. But I think there is just a, an, an ignorance on our part as to like our opinion and like what we prefer for somebody to do with like their hair. You know what I mean? Like, and even as a black man to a black woman thinking like me saying this, is me being like, I think you beautiful and I, you know, and I support you and all these things. And like, yes, but like stay in your lane, like it's not your head and you don't know the history and you don't know what's attached to their hair, like quite literally, but also figuratively. And right, Joe, like, they go yeah. <laughs> and as, as we're here, I, you know, this is a perspective that we haven't really talked about. And I just, I want you to speak on it, just being a black woman um your experiences as far as 
uh, attraction and relationship and, and how that is attached, how you think or how you view that to be attached to like you being a black woman. Yeah. Um, so, um, touching on, like, I think it depends on the space that you also take up. And so, like I mentioned before, I went to school with predominantly Latinx and East Asian people. And so I didn't have the same experience as my other friends did. Like I wasn't asked out to dances. I wasn't asked, I didn't do all those things. I didn't have a boyfriend in high school. I just didn't have those experiences. And I just chalked it up to being like, you know, it is what it is. Maybe something will happen in like college. And the more that I like grew and like took time to understand why wasn't I having the same experiences as my friends? Like there have been studies now because we have things like dating apps that can show you the statistics on who's getting like swiped right or swiped left on like black women across the board. If you're doing it against like men and women are the least desirable. It's just, it's just factual. So it's, it's similar in the gay community as well. There's like a lot of inc- like racism within the gay male, gay male community. That's what I ex- exhibit or have. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was, it, it was like, it sucks to hear that type of stuff, but at least it's like, it's very honest, you know? And I was having this conversation with my, um, with one of my black friends on Friday, just telling her about like how I was going to talk about this. And another thing is like black women are hypersexualized and we are exoticized. So someone may be interested in getting to know you for the weekend, but do they really want to be with you? Do they want to bring you home? And like, I've had people like, Jewish men be interested. I'm like, you know, your mama does not want me to come home with you. Like, let's like, let's be real. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not just like a girl for the weekend and don't talk to me in a certain way because I'm a black woman and I'm not like someone you're going to take, you're not going to take seriously. So I haven't had, like, I didn't have those traditional experiences and we talked about it the other day, but even when it comes down to like, I think this is important, like makeup, didn't have the same opportunity as my friends to wear makeup because there wasn't makeup for me. Anything put on me was powdery. I was in my friend's wedding like six years ago and she brought makeup. And first of all, another conversation, do you know how to do black makeup? Sure, I know how to do black makeup. And all the stuff she put on me was meant for white women. So it came up very pasty on my skin, like, and I did not feel good. Like now there's way, like way more opportunity. And anyone that takes my class, anyone that knows me knows I'm obsessed with makeup now because there's so much more makeup readily available for black women because brands like Fenty and Pat McGrath have like stepped up and have been super vocal about it. And like, now you see it everywhere, but those type of things just weren't readily available for me. Right. And I think um, what we, I mean, what we ended up talking about all of us after kind of hearing you speak on that was the idea and its impact on your identity and all of us, but specifically like coming from your perspective, like it's the impact that that had on you know how you operated and how you moved and how you viewed yourself in terms of maybe feeling undervalued when you went to go look for makeup or maybe feeling undervalued when you had when you felt like you had to get these braids out and get them right back in and don't let anybody see like that in between because nobody's gonna understand like I get that I get that nobody's gonna understand like junior like my hair was long a, a while ago like a couple months ago and like nobody was going to see me in that in-between. It wasn't gonna happen. Like, I didn't, I didn't want the question. I didn't want the eyes. I didn't want the confusion. I didn't want that uncomfortable, like, your hair is different today. What'd you do? And I'm like, oh, this, this is just what happens when I watch it. You know, like, this is just and, life. <laughs> and also, because of the spaces that we work in, like, being, I don't know about you, but being super lenient to people just wanting to touch your hair. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, first of all, I'm not even going to talk about who the person was, but I went to a Soul Cycle Christmas party. I might get in trouble for this. Lord Jesus, please. Do please. it! Do it! Lord, help me! I went to a Soul Cycle party, and a very big person from the team on the executive side, she came up to me, like, you, I'm, I'm a nice person, right? Usually when people see me, they're like, oh my God, Junior, da 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 da, because like, I'm usually like a loving type of person. The, she ran up to me, my hair was let out and curly and whatever, and she 
grab my hair, rubbing it. And I'm like, the people around me was like, yo, did that happen? And she's like, oh my God, your hair is so nice. I was like, ma'am, ma'am. And, and, and not only that, she, she's a white woman, Don't but do not touch me. Had I, if I did that to her, would have been you a should have, You should have done it right back. I should, you know what? Where were you, Miles? Where were you? I was there. I was there somewhere. Yo, I was like, this is crazy. But even in, <laughs> like when I, now that my hair is growing, like, I let my hair out. There are people who are like, can I? touch it but i'm like i don't want to be mean and i'm like why this is not a, a showcase this is not for your comfort this is not oh my god this is a spec like that's no. a no that's a no in case anyone's confused in this call you cannot touch anybody's hair without asking them first clarity there it is yeah not that's a white, big black that's in a between big don't now. touch my her Okay. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Step back six feet. Corona shouldn't have to tell you <laughs> Alexa that. Alexa, play. Don't touch my hair. <laughs> yes, everyone, listen to it if you haven't heard it. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. Um, don't touch my hair. Um, I mean, as as we're bringing this to a close, there are a lot of things. I loved where we went with this conversation, but I want to respect everyone's time. Um, but something that is is really important as we sort of wind down and wrap this up is this idea everything we've talked about right now in this conversation has been leading toward this idea of identity and how we as black people have been identified and how that has had an impact on our own personal identity i'll say that again how black people have been identified outside of themselves has had a huge impact and has played a huge role in our own personal identity and how we see our self-worth and our value. But there's another version of identity, which Junior was about to bring up, but I really want to, you know, keep us, keep us on time, is this idea of how you identify in a movement. Like, outside of just your personal identity, what, who you identify as in this conversation, in this fight, in, in this uh, walk towards progress. And um, matter of fact, Junior, like real quick, give me, give me like what that was, because I don't want to, I don't want to mix words. Unmute, unmute, unmute. Unmute. Um, it, it's it's literally in one sentence: maturing your emotions through identity. Um, before you could go anywhere else, you got to identify who you are, where you are, and what you're doing. And from that point on, you step in the right direction in understanding the kind of movement you're starting to create or mobilize, um, mobilizing in between. So it's maturing your emotions through identity. So emotion is not strongly playing a role, but it is playing a role because we're humans and we all act off emotions but also using the, the scale of identity to figure out just let me scale back on emotion and move from an intentional perspective because now I identify who I am, what role I've played in this um, act of incorrectiveness or act of injustice. And now I could move forward in correcting that, um, that action. Beautiful. And it's, it really leans into something I, I have always said every single day, if you ride with me or have been with the, the online fitness with me, you know, I, I ask this question every single day and it's, who are you going to be today? Right? Because that is an active decision. That is a choice that you get to make every day when you wake up. You do not have to be ruled by what life is supposed to be, right? You do not have to be dictated to, but you can actually make the choice and who I decide to be in every single moment. Right. And the, the, like the minute we kind of take our foot off of that, the gas or we take our hands off the steering wheel of who I'm going to be today is when we kind of let the world do what it's going to do. And like if you have privilege and you take your hand off the steering wheel, then it's going to steer you in a direction that is not here to elevate or here to help people of color. Like it just isn't because that is the system that we've been born into. So all of everything, whether it's optics, whether it's education, whether it was our unproductive emotions or the, like now knowing these three various types of racism or beauty standards or 
the 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 influence of white culture in society and how that is supposed to be the standard and supposed to be successful or popular all comes down to identity um remember that this is a long battle and in terms of education think about it this way you don't put your child in kindergarten and then expect them to to graduate with a high school diploma in a week right so why would you expect that about yourself I, I, if you're fighting fight hard if you're if you're educating educate hard but also don't forget to rest hard and just follow like you only know your boundaries and you cannot learn all the time and you cannot fight all the time so make sure that you're taking your pauses when you need them and, and you're the only one who knows when you need them so you got to you got to you got to do that for yourself beautiful thank you i had to i switched up the vices you know what i mean cuz uh you got to make sure all of this is clear. So I'm going to reiterate for like a second, just in case any of that was meant for this recording and I want to make sure we did. But, um, you know, I identity is so key in this conversation and understanding sort of where you identify and how you identify in these ongoing conversations is going to be crucial for not only your growth, but for the progression of the movement as a whole for continuing to elevate Black voices and voices that have traditionally been unheard and underrepresented because um, at the end of the day, it's, it's up to you. You get to decide. You don't have to be perfect, but I suggest you be present in this and ask yourself continuously throughout the day, who am I going to be today and why? Um, I would love it if you guys would say, you know, bye <laughs> uh, to everyone that tuned in. We had just over 2,700 people signed up and I'm sure if they weren't on this actual call, they'll be listening in uh, on the podcast on Spotify and Apple. But please, Joe, Junior, Miles, say your goodbyes. Thank goodbye, you, guys. Thank, thank you, guys, you so much. Thank you for tuning thank in, guys. Thank you for listening. I'll see everybody on Friday, 1230. We have another four-year discomfort, part eight. Woo crazy, but I'm excited. Um, Keep doing what you do. The conversation is only just beginning. Continue to step into the room. And thank you for stepping into it now. I'll see y'all later. All right. Bye. 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 Thank you for stepping into the room. But this is just the beginning. Keep leaning in. Keep showing up. Keep listening. And as always, it's not about being perfect. It's about being present in this moment. But know that it's not limited to a moment, for this is a movement. For any and all updates, head to Instagram at For Your Discomfort. Or our website is live now, so ForYourDiscomfort.com works too. I'll see you next time.